Hey everyone, it's John Kerwin here and I'm really excited as this is my podcast called Open Minded. This podcast is interviewing inspirational people from all walks of life. You know, I want to give you the real stuff that's happening every day in the minds of these leaders, how they stay well in high pressure roles, how they build resilience in themselves, how they look after their people and how can you invest in yourself and your people to do mental well-being well. So this is JK and this is Open Minded. So let's go. Well, hello everyone. What an amazing day for me. You all know how passionate that I am about mental well-being, mental health, whatever you want to call it. And today I have our amazing leader, our Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern, who was probably the first leader in the world to bring out a well-being budget, which I was absolutely stoked about. But you know, I love cooking, I love living, and really the ingredients of what high-performing people do on a daily basis to keep well. So thank you, Prime Minister. Great to have you in, in my home. Oh, it's lovely to be here. Nice to be in your kitchen. Now, I spoke to a person the other night who admires you greatly, and he was a, he's a good leader in New Zealand. He said, I feel like I'm crawling to Christmas. Oh. So how are you? I I've, mean, used how... that, I, I've used that exact same turn of phrase. I literally feel like most of the country, we're literally on the ground just clawing our way there. I think it's just because for us in New Zealand, Christmas represents just a bit of a break from routine. Even if people are still working, you know, there's just a, a bit of a sense that it's not the usual period. And what a year and what a, a couple of years for you. So we talk about the sort of six pillars or my daily mental health plan, you know, yep. chill, connect, move, yep. you know, do. I want to talk to you about those things in your life and how you can deal with all those things around yes. you and still chill, which is something that's important to me on a daily basis. Do you know, I, I, I'm very aware of the things that I'm not great uh, with in those six pillars. Um, one of them is the move part of things. Do you know, I think we can have a tendency when we're really busy or when we have jobs that have a lot of responsibility attached to them that you can feel that somehow it's selfish to take time out. Um, I, I remember when I first started in this role, people would ask me, how much sleep do you get? And, and I'd almost felt like I wasn't allowed to say enough <laughs> because people have an expectation that you're working every, every hour that you have. And for the most part, you know, many of us do. But actually, we, we can't do our jobs well and therefore we let others down if we don't give ourselves the space and time to look after ourselves. And it took me a long time to, to realise that there's no guilt in that self-care and in those pillars that actually helps you be better at what you do. So um, I'm trying to be better, <laughs> but there are things I do prioritise. I do try and get enough sleep. I just don't make good decisions otherwise. I do try and eat well. And my chill, um, if I really need to get a, a break, um, I will watch bad television. Nice. <laughs> that's my... Yeah, I do a bit of that, eh? Yeah, that's how I zone out. Yeah. Bad, bad crime shows. And I've been, <laughs> I've been, yeah, I do bad car shows. So there, there we, we go. go. Yeah, I call it mind numbing, but it's yeah, actually quite good. Yeah, mind numbing. Yeah, it's know? just, it's just quiet. Don't have to think. Just got to quiet in the mind just for a little bit. Yeah. So I was watching some interviews, and it was really interesting how um, you spoke about an imposter syndrome. Yes. I had one. 
I don't know if you remember, you're probably too young, but I scored a try against Italy in the World Cup in 1987. And everyone, I'm, I, I, no, I grew up watching you. Okay, well, I everyone, won't put an age on it. No one yeah, needs to date stamp exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> Please. So, look, what, what happened with me is everyone says that was a great try, but I came off. And I was wondering when the coach was going to drop me because I was just lucky, when he was going to find out I wasn't good enough. And you spoke about imposter syndrome yes. in one of your interviews. And it's amazing how many successful people I've yeah. talked to mm. that actually have it. Yes. So how, do you, how did you deal with it, especially being PM? Do you know, I, uh, I think for me, the way that I even learned about it has been was really important for me. I had a um, teacher at school who was just remarkable. I think we... Uh, all of us will at least have a teacher that was memorable for all the right reasons or all the wrong reasons. He was memorable for all the right reasons. He just had a way of teaching that stuck. And when I became a senior student and I was about to leave, he mentioned to me that he suffered from this thing called imposter syndrome. And the way he described it to me, he said he always would wait for, I think he described it as a leprechaun at the back of the classroom to jump out and expose him as not really being a teacher. And I just remember thinking, if he can feel like that, someone I admire so much, then maybe I shouldn't worry so much about feeling like that. And as you say, some of the people I admire the most have that self-consciousness and that slight gnawing lack of confidence. I think there's a bit of Kiwi in there as well. It's a little mm. bit in our, in our nature. But I've tried to channel that into, instead of being a gnawing lack of confidence, just something that drives me to be better. You know, why am I feeling a bit worried about that? Is it doesn't mean I need to do a bit more prep. Doesn't mean that I need to think a bit more about my decision making. Just try and turn it into something positive. I think I call them my sharks because it was part of my motivation. Yeah, I think exactly, it was good yeah. for me for a long time, but then when it starts it eating you. you. Yep. So as prime minister, how do you how do you, how do you actually deal with that self doubt? Because you have this incredible ability to communicate and put us all at rest. Mm. But if that's nagging at you, how do you? Well, as I off? say, I mean, I've tried to turn it into a thing that actually, if it's there, why is it there? You know, is it yeah. because I feel like I actually intuitively, a decision I've made isn't sitting right with me, and that's why that's gnawing away. So I try and use it as a bit of a sign of something else that might help me actually just deal with it. The other thing is actually, I keep busy. Uh, to be fair, actually, in this last year, it hasn't been as pronounced for me. And, and I put that down to the fact that actually... There's been no time for self-doubt. Yeah. You know, what are we judging one another against right now? Except, exactly. you know, so yeah. I, it just, it actually hasn't been as present for me this year. So another really important one for me, and I often talk to uh, our youngsters, and you talk about connection, mm. right? And how we connect. You have, like I said before, this amazing ability to connect publicly, but how do you keep your connections in your personal life to keep yourself mentally well? I think um, uh, even in this day and age where actually we probably feel like we're more connected than ever, uh, in lots of ways it's also created a loneliness. Mm. You know, I saw some um, data recently that said that one of our groups that identify as being the loneliest is actually that young generation, our young people, who you would assume uh, would never lack for contact based on how much of our lives are lived online. So when I think about connection, for me, it's actually there are sometimes positive and negatives uh, because I, I say I, 
often say to young people, go, go for the connections that are reliable and consistent for you. And an online space sometimes won't always be that place. So if you're feeling a little bit, you know, a little bit vulnerable, a little bit down, maybe take some time out of those online connections and go on and refocus on those, those real ones with those people who are consistently there for you. The people who, when you talk to them for a little moment, you know, you feel the weight lift a bit. And just identifying the difference in those connections, I think is really important. They say that great leadership is lonely. I mean, is it, is it lonely being the PM and how do you cope with that? Do you know, that, that was the fascinating thing for this year when we were all physically unable to see one another um, for such a long period of time. And when there were decisions being made that really, at the end of the day, could only be made by a small group of people. I never, ever felt alone. That was, that was, that was I think, the reason behind the team of five million and the way mm. it was expressed, because actually, yes, we were making decisions, but I always knew that they would only work if everyone was behind us. And somehow, New Zealand managed to convey from a distance the fact that we were by and large all in it together. So no, I've never, I've never found it lonely, um, ever, which well, is a lucky thing. Oh, that's good. I'm pleased. Yeah. Like, the other thing, I mean, an amazing few years in your, you know, your first four years, I guess, the terrorism attack, yeah. the empathy, general empathy that you showed that went around the world. Mm -hmm. But when you get home, how do you, how do you actually sleep when things like, you know, you've gone from one crisis to another mm. and handled it incredibly well when you're you know, when you sit back and how do you actually switch the old brain off? It's probably something um, that I, I again would confess I haven't been particularly good at. Um, after the sentencing um, of the terrorist um, of March 15, uh, it was, it just felt like it was yesterday again. And so that's why I just cannot imagine for those who lost and who are still living it every single day, the fact that I felt like that through sentencing, I can't imagine how they felt. Mm. But it, it did remind me that probably that's a bit of a sign that I haven't really processed any of it really. And can you? I don't know if you can. Maybe you can't, maybe you can't, but it came, uh, it all, um, you know, seeing the phases of, of those who I've gotten to know um, and hearing them again, just talking about that period and what it's been for them since. Uh, I just found really hard to watch. I think every New Zealander felt that way. Um, so no, I don't think I have processed it for Cardi, March 15, any of it really. Mm. And maybe I always talk about uh, making peace with your emotions. Mm. And you know, I think for me, I mean, you can go and hug them being mm. Prime Minister, at least yeah. you can get a bit closer yes. and help, I guess. <laughs> yes. Okay, let's, let's get to the do bit. So. Yeah. I've got a monkey brain, I mm. think. I, I don't know if you've heard, so I call my monkey Bob. He never stops. Yeah. So unless I'm watching brain-numbing television, yeah. I've got to be an active relaxer. I love yeah. cooking, I read. But just lately, I've taken up the guitar. Now, it sounds wow. like I'm killing a cat <laughs> in the lounge, um, but it's about me. So what yeah. do you do for your personal growth or just to switch off from Parliament? I've actually co-opted your language <laughs> because my family give me a really hard time over summer. They're like, sit down you know, relax, but I'm, I'm an active relaxer too. So the thing that I really like doing over summer is that's when I cook. I, you know, I'm not an amazing cook, definitely don't eat any of my baking ever, but I enjoy it. So Christmas dinner, I like to, I like to be in the kitchen with my mum, 
um, and that's that's my happy summer place. Clark teases me a lot because I will <laughs> literally read recipe books. I'll just sit down for hours reading recipe books. Me too. Yeah, I, too. I, I love that. So I'm an I'm an active relaxer as well, and that's yeah, that's when I do that too. Summer. Yeah, I mean, and I think if you can active relax, like you, yeah. it is. I so we get more inputs in our brain today than mm. our grandparents had in yeah. a lifetime. So. Yeah. I talk about unplugging the computer and that's so important to unplug. Absolutely. And I think that particularly when, you know, the, the, the plug follows you now, um, we, you know, we, we all have devices in different forms and you can pick up those habits of just constantly picking up what can be that source of anxiety exactly. for you. Yeah. So um, over summer, you know, I have to be contactable and I am, but I will might leave it <laughs> sitting, sitting somewhere in another room. Nice. I think you have so much noise around you all mm. the time. How do you self-assess? How do you get time where you can go, I'm going okay, or just yeah. assess yourself? Because I would say that yeah. from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed would be noise all around you, like yeah. today. You know, yeah. Always people, always things. Yes, and, and it helps, I guess, as a starting point that I love being around people. So, yes, I like a bit of quiet time, but if I'm picking you know, what it is that's going to make me feel good about the world, it'll be being around people rather. Some people, they choose to have a bit of alone time, but that for me is really restorative. Um, uh, but yeah, at the, at the same time, the thing that helps me probably then in those moments where I do need to take a bit of a break is being around people all the time. You know, it does take a lot of energy. And so that does mean I, I do sleep. Um, I exhaust myself <laughs> and so, then I yeah. sleep really well. I don't know if that's a good strategy. No, that's a good strategy. But I like it. Yeah, that, like that's it. Um, thankfully, and I count myself so lucky because I meet a lot of people who do jobs like mine who don't sleep. And I think I would really struggle. It's really key for me. I can tell if I'm too tired and it's, you know, and it, that, you know, will get me down a bit. I just, that rest makes a big difference. Same person I was talking to the other day said you have an incredible ability to read. You're up to date with most things that are going on around the world. You're incredibly informed and you probably need to be in your role. But how do you find time to read all that stuff? And I mean, because I can't read in the car. So do you get oh, in the car, car oh, I had to like I. I do get car sick and I've had to train myself out of car sickness really? and I have not succeeded. So I just push on through and hope that I don't have to pull over on the side of the road like a 12 year old girl. <laughs> um, I, last weekend I was trying to calculate, I think probably I, I would have read over a thousand pages of writing in, the, in one weekend. And so, you know, you accept that not everything sticks, but it's just part of, part of the job. What, what, I have had to learn is that actually there's some, some things that are optional. You don't have to read every single newspaper article. And maybe, maybe it's a good thing that you don't sometimes. And so I, I am a bit self-selecting about what it is that I'm, that I'm, that I'm reading. Okay, this is, the next one's a good one. So, I mean, we don't know what diet to have anymore. You don't know whether to eat a whole cow or just eat your vegetable garden. You get all this information just every single day. Half a cow once yeah, a week. Yeah, exactly. Or... <laughs> what do you do? But it's also like that around fitness. And what yep. we try and say at Mentimere is it's just about moving. Yeah. Making sure you're moving, whatever that is. So, yep. what's your move? Um, 
<laughs> I used to be a big walker. I used to love walking and I do it a lot. Um, now I'm almost embarrassed at how little I walk or run. Um, because I have um, I have police who follow me all the time, and so I feel like I don't give them enough outside <laughs> exercise anymore. But you know, when you've got a little one, that time out for those things gets that much harder. So instead, now Neve loves to dance. Oh, so cool. in the morning, and often before she goes to bed, she'll say, "I want to dance," and oh. so we'll put on some really bad children's music. We'll ruin Clark's Spotify algorithms <laughs> and we'll play something to dance to. So you, Nev, or Neve is yeah. snow in Italian. It is, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, it is. So we call her Neve here yeah, in our home. As parents, um, a lot of young parents have this amazing guilt about going back to work after they've had Yes. you know, a young one. Yep. And I don't think that should be gender related, male or female. I mean. Yeah. Did you have that guilt and how did you deal with it? Oh, absolutely. And it, for me, it's, you know, almost the return wasn't the worst bit because I knew I had to go back and I knew that it was going to come at six weeks. Um, and we worked really hard and Clark, bless him, was there bringing Neve in to see me regularly. It was almost as if in that period I had that excuse for that regular contact because I had to feed her. What's gotten harder is over time when she hasn't needed that anymore, I don't have that excuse anymore, and I don't see her as much. And so for me, it's a daily struggle um, when I leave in the morning and she cries, which is not every morning. <laughs> Some days it's just, see you, mum. But I, it reminds me that I'm not the only one that goes through that Every parent at some stage has experienced that, and it just means I can understand how they feel too. But I also tell myself that um, that Neve's okay. Mm. She's got wonderful people around her. She does see her mum, but she also sees her dad and her nana and her papa. And as long as children are surrounded by just a village of love, yeah. then they're okay. Um, I just tell myself that every time. And it's true. And I it's think sometimes when I talk about talk to people about their mental health, sometimes our mind does lie to us. Yeah. And you need to keep it in check. Yeah. Because, yep. you know, she is fine. Yeah, she is absolutely fine. And even though my dad is a policeman, you know, worked a lot of shift work, was away a lot, it has not affected our relationship and it has not affected me. No, great words. How do you, another pillar, another daily mental health plan, how do you celebrate? I call it my goodie basket. Oh. I know. But I do it every day. Yeah. So how do you celebrate when you're so busy? Just for you. Just something just for you. I oh, see the for me actually a celebration for me is marking something with someone else. I'm really I, I really grab onto this idea that we have to mark milestones. We have to celebrate moments. Because otherwise what is life if you're not finding these moments? Uh, and so, you know, I don't, for me, New Year's comes and goes, you know, a little bit different this year, but <laughs> uh, I'd be just, for me, you know, as big a milestone as, you know, getting to the end of a hard week and just choosing to do something to mark that with a loved one or um, just acknowledging people's special achievements um, as a team at work or at home with family. So my goodie basket is just so connected to other people. So that's where I get my energy from. Are you an extrovert? Um, yeah, I, th I think most politicians probably are. Mm. I'm an, yeah, I am an extrovert, but at the same time, there's, you know, I don't mind a bit of quiet time as well, a bit of a bit time to regroup. Mm. 
How do you stay true? So I, I always tell a story. Sometimes I don't know if they're true people, but my, my dad told me when I was butchering, don't wreck a, a good story with the truth. But there's a story about... Um, it was a, my nana's saying as well. Yeah, yeah. Same generation. <laughs> no. there, was a, there was a... A, a tourist group on elephants in Sri Lanka, 12 people, and all of a sudden the elephants took off. Mm. And the leader of this expedition thought that the elephants were going to kill everyone. Mm. Five minutes later, the tsunami arrived. Mm. Now, the elephants trusted their gut. Mm. And I always remember my dad saying to me, don't let your brain get in the way when your gut's decided. Mm. So how, with all this... I keep calling it noise, mm. all the things, because it can be pretty aggressive politics. Yeah. You know, sometimes I look back and think, wow, why can't, you know, yeah. why can't you just agree that <laughs> it's a really cool thing to do, both of you or three of you or yeah. five of you? But how do you stay true to your values yeah. and your core and listen to your stomach with so much information and people around you trying to give you advice? Well, the first, the first thing I, I tried to learn or... Uh, a while ago, and it was a bit of a bumpy ride learning it. Uh, you know, in politics, there is a lot of noise, and you've got to filter um, the fact that there will always just be judgment of what you do. Um, filter that from actually just valid feedback. You know, not everyone's always going to agree with you, and you need to learn how to hear people without it becoming personal. So just learning how to filter that. The second thing is that, you know, for me, I've always wanted to be an evidence-based politician. I want to know and understand the problem you know, anything, the research that sits around it so that I'm not just making these decisions on a whim, that I know it's going to work. But not everything has an evidence base. You know, when COVID came along, no one could say, well, based on all the research, this is exactly exactly what you need to do. Sometimes you, you won't have that provided to you. So that's when I, I, I learn what I need to know and then I listen to how it feels. And so if I make a decision after all that and it just isn't quite sitting with me, um, I, I, I listen to that and I, you know, I'll work and change my mind on it until it feels like it's, it's right. Um, it's not based on a whim and it's not just strictly intuition because there is a bit more than that for me. Um, but so important, so important. You have to live with your decisions. Mm. And that's probably how I sleep at night is that I always make sure I can, I feel comfortable with those decisions. So you're lacking a bit of sleep. You're standing up there. Someone's having a dig at, it, yep. dig at you and you're starting to get a shark back yep. or something's coming. So last Thursday. Well, yeah, last yeah. Thursday, yeah. <laughs> what, what are your tools? What, what are your actual tools that you go, do you breathe? What do you do to go, yeah. to just bring it down a step? And So if I'm, if I'm so let's use an example. Um, I'm in the theatre and I'm, I'm in a press conference. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the first thing, the first thing I try and do is always just think, okay, that's that's someone doing their job, you know. So it's just it's not personal. So just try and just constantly bring yourself back into what you're doing. Afterwards, I'll just come and talk to someone I trust and and get them to just bring bring me back into perspective a bit. Other people have always been such an important part for me of perspective, because uh, there are times when actually. I am my own worst enemy. And when you are your own worst enemy, go out and find some allies. And so that's really always been important to me. I'm never going to be the one that talks myself back because um, I'm just a harsh critic of myself internally. But I know that there are other people who are really good at seeing when I'm in that space and helping me out. So, so if I spoke to you about empathy, which I think you've got an absolute bucket loads, would you describe that 
as actually before any emotion you try and put yourself in other people's shoes yeah. is that do you think that's an important part of it or how would you describe it yeah actually you're right but isn't it fascinating someone pointed out to me once we were having a general conversation around how people manage um you know the fact that so many of us are our own worst enemies and never before i had someone you know <laughs> reflect back that what you know particularly kiwis because we are so harsh on our on ourselves you know we are really good at being empathetic, but just not empathetic to ourselves. And, you know, isn't, isn't that something that we should try and instill in our kids? We teach them kindness to everyone around them, but we don't always talk about them showing that same kindness to themselves. And isn't that something that's just so important when we want to get rid of that, you know, the, the sharks? My dad once, I asked my dad, he was, um unwell and I went and saw him and uh, I asked him what success was. I said, you know, because he was a butcher, but mm. 800 people at his funeral. Yeah. And I said to him, uh, you know, dads, what's success? And I can say this because we're probably in New Zealand. And he said, well, how many bastards want to carry you out when you die? Mm. Right? So if, if I morphed you forward and you look back, on your, look back on your, <laughs> yeah. your leadership now, yeah. what, what would you oh, like to I remind to myself be... of that constantly. You know, at the point... And it's such a jarring thing when you're a politician. We have this practice in New Zealand of when a past member of parliament passes away, we all, we all stand and we have a minute's silence. And I remember when I first came into parliament, there were names that I recognised, and then one day there was a name I didn't. And I thought, that's, that's it. We eventually, you know, we come into this place, um, then we leave, and then eventually, you know, uh, whatever we've done, our legacy can disappear. What people will remember is the way you treated other people, some of the ideas that you maybe talked about, but our names are meaningless unless we focus, I think, on how it is that we leave New Zealand in terms of that treatment and those ideas. So I often think about that. When, I, when I'm on my deathbed, I'm not going to sit there and go, well, in the third quarter of 2021, I'm so pleased that we <laughs> put in X policy. I want to feel like I just conducted myself with integrity, that I always stayed true to who I was and what I believed in, no matter what came my way, and that I kept my family together at the same time. That, that's what will be important to me. What are you reading? Uh... Besides 100 million papers I in the car. Have, um, I have some plans. <laughs> um, With the cookbook? Yeah, I'll Christmas. be reading a few cookbooks. Usually it's one of the little treats that I leave myself right before I go on holidays to go and collect up some books. And usually what I do is try and collect up some of the New Zealand writers who have been finalists in the Ockham Book Awards. And that's when I, that's when I catch up. I had uh, I used to do the same when I left because I didn't read a book till I was 18, a little bit dyslexic, and mm -hmm. uh, I used to just buy a New Zealand history book yeah. going out. I mean, the, the journey for me has been amazing, so I was too scared to talk about my mental health and just about jumped out of a window. Mm. And I came home and seeked help, and you know, the tools and techniques that I've learned have been amazing. Um, 15 years later, our Prime Minister comes out with a well-being budget. Um, you know, we've all got mental health, mm. and how important is it for you as Prime Minister to make sure that people identify that, and rather than ambulance at the bottom of a cliff, start yeah, doing things yeah. to... Do you know, for, for me, uh, we need to try and get ourselves to a place where the way we talk about, for instance, the health and well-being of our hearts is the way that we talk about the health and well-being of our minds. 
you know, if someone's got, you know, heart troubles, uh, no, one, no one says to them, oh, you'll get over it. <laughs> no one does that. And nor do they expect that actually we wouldn't do anything about that or we wouldn't do things to prevent or anything getting worse. It's the same thing. We, we need to take that similar approach. For us, that big investment into mental health, a big chunk of it was about preventative care. Um, everything from supporting uh, the ways that people can access, uh, access support from home, you know, online, to putting in place support that sits next to your GP. Because if you go to the doctor's office and actually you're there for some other reason and suddenly they just pick up that you know, you're on the cusp of not doing so well, that we can put support around you, um, those cognitive behavioural therapy tools, yeah. <laughs> right there in that place to help equip you in the same way we would if we needed to help with your cholesterol. That's the way I want us to view this issue. There's no stigma. It's all about looking after our full well-being. I mean, it's a bit like the diet, but like the gym, but yeah. like everything else we do know. Same thing. We've all got mental health. You know, um, I've been incredible. I've had anxiety attacks. I've I've been depressed, and I got through it. And I think that's the the message for, for me is that prime minister has mental health. I've got mental health. You've got mental health. And we, what we want to be able to do is identify it and get the tools and techniques. Yeah, and care for it. And care for it exactly. Mm. I, I think when we talk about inclusion, and you've often spoken into your interviews about you know females and leadership, how you don't want to be identified as a female leader or a mother, you just want to be a want to be a leader. Yeah. What what is your message to to leaders out there, both mm. gender? Mm. What do we need to be concentrating on to lead our people, our families into the future? For me, it's really simple. What do what do we teach our kids? Because actually, I think there's something universal about that. No matter where you are, the things that we value are the things we teach our children. And you know, if you ask someone, you know, what is it that you want for your kids when they're older, often we do revert to those values. We want our kids to be happy. We want them to feel loved and supported. Um, we want them to be treated well by others, and we want them to treat others well. So if those are the values that we are so important for us that we teach them to our kids, then we should expect those same values of our leaders. And that's the simple formula for me. Something happened along the way where we said, okay, kids need to be kind, but leaders, they need to be staunch, aggressive, show no mercy, and definitely show no weakness. And that just doesn't sit well with me. I've always been of the view that if behaving like that meant that people didn't accept me as a leader, then so be it. I'd rather be myself. But here we are. Yeah, well, the stereotype nearly killed me, actually, because yeah. I thought I had to be a certain type of person. Exactly. I mean, back in my day, it was probably rugby, racing and beer, and then an all-black yeah. when I went in there. You had and to here, fit the mould. Yeah, I had to fit yeah. the mould, and, and here I was suffering mentally, yeah. right, and being too scared to reach, sort of reach out. I, I've always thought about that yeah. as a Prime Minister. What when what were you expecting when you got in there, and what do you just go? I'm not. I'm, let's break this down because you seem to be, for me, what I would call a modern leader. I think politics is accelerating to change, mm. and we're all looking for new types of leaders. What was your perception when you got yeah. in? Thought, how do I? Did you ever act like you shouldn't have, and then thought, what am I doing? Well, I mean, you're right. There are so many workforces where we have these moulds, and you think about some of the significant mental health issues that we hear coming out of our building and construction sector, how much of that is because we expect moulds? I talk to women who work in law, moulds, the police force, moulds. 
all of these stereotypes and expectations that we have as a result. And so politics, rugby, I think we all battle with that or have done. Uh, and for me, it started really from the moment I was a politician. So there are the same expectations around what politicians are meant to be like extends into prime minister, I think. And there was a moment that I remember really clearly. Um, I was asked um, to do an interview uh, on, we'd had a, a, a brutal situation um, in the news and they wanted me to criticize the minister. And I said to them, actually what's happened here is not the minister's fault. So I'm not gonna criticize the minister, but these are the things that I will say. And they said, no, we're not interested in, in you saying anything other than just criticizing. <laughs> and I thought, well, you know, part of my job is that I'm meant to be in the public eye. I'm tuning down this opportunity. Mm. But in my mind, actually, it wasn't worth it. So I said no, I didn't do the interview. And that for me, I think, was really a turning point for saying, I am going to do this my way. And if it means that I don't succeed, oh well. So by the time I came in as Prime Minister, I think I'd already just decided that that was the way I would operate. But there have still been moments. You know, I still catch myself... If I, you know, find myself getting a bit choked up, I will try and hide that. Don't. Uh, well, some, obviously <laughs> last week I didn't do a good job because I still, in the back of my mind, have this idea that that's, that's not what people need to see from their leaders. So there's still a bit of that in my mind. Yeah. Oh, that's so important. I mean, even now, just because I grew up in that generation, and one thing that we're trying to tell all, especially young males, it's yeah. okay to, it's, oh, it's okay to cry. You absolutely, know? and gosh, of anyone, you know, I spouse that all of the time, but still, that's still, in hard, the back, right? still in the back of my mind. So what would you say to some of our young leaders that are coming through about the pushback that you might have got from the, I'll call them the establishment, let's mm. just leave it as, as an establishment, they come and say, actually Jacinda, you've got to bag someone because otherwise you won't get, how, how do you find the courage to push back if you're a young lawyer, you know, you're in this stereotypical situation. I, so if I come back to, um, you know, decades ago growing up, I never thought that being a woman would hold me back from doing whatever I wanted to do. What I want to see for the next generation is that they think that, you know, being someone who shows a bit of emotion doesn't hold them back or, you know, that acknowledges the things that they're good at and bad at doesn't hold them back. We've got to keep trying to develop these new ways of leading where people feel like that's them. They see themselves in those different forms. It doesn't have to be uniform. We can lead each in our own way. And so for the next generation, sometimes you might be the first who leads in that way, but that's okay. You know, someone has to, and then someone behind you will benefit. Who would you like me to interview next? That's a really good question. Um, Grant Robertson. Grant Robertson, he's a good man too. He's a good man. Yeah, he has some that. good yarns. Grant, I'm coming for you, so let's be ready. <laughs> Prime Minister, thank you. Thank you for the last 18 months. You, you spoke to my wife. She's just got back from Italy and um, she was just so joyous not to have her wear a mask. Yes. And my son's over there, he's had uh, COVID and, yeah. and the courage that you showed to lead. I, I caught up with Sean Fitzpatrick, my old oh, mate, yeah. the other day, and he yeah. said, what did our dads talk about? And I said, oh, the war and the depression. Yeah. And he said, yeah, we're going to talk about COVID and how we dealt with it. Yeah. So yep. just from me, thank you. Thank you. I, uh, 
I'm following you. You're leading us incredibly well, so I just want to thank you for today. And I've got a risotto on, so we're going to go and eat. Oh, thank you. Are you allowed to drink? Are you allowed a little glass of wine or probably not? We'll answer that after the camera. No, we're not going to say anything on camera. <laughs> <laughs> just got the waters. Yeah, just water today. Just water. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Open Minded. If you like the podcast, make sure to subscribe. This podcast is everywhere you get your podcasts, so make sure you do that. <laughs> I don't need to tell you how, and then you'll get my new episode straight away. And if you can leave a review, tell everyone you know about it, it'd be awesome. If you could help spread the word about the show, thanks. But also, I'd love to get your feedback. You know, I'm new to this, I want to get better, and I want to know what you want to know about mental well-being. So please reach out to us, and thanks, and I'll see you all soon.